0: Hi everybody, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, the founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making is keeping us hidden and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what personal experiences or traumas you have had in your life, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that, so come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Welcome everybody. It's a beautiful day in November down here in South Florida, and I have the most fun guest today. I probably say that every week because I have these great guests. But today my guest is a friend from Women's Prosperity Network. We've met but not spent a lot of time together because of the pandemic. Um, but I've gotten to know her from her YouTube videos, which I do with a lot of my guests on uh, the morning of the show. I go on YouTube and I find out who they are and what they're about. And this morning my guest is Donna Blevins, Dr. Donna Blevins. She's an executive mindset coach, mind shift coach, and an international poker player. Donna is six foot five and a giant of a woman, the heart, as big as the country, and she made me laugh. She just made me laugh. She said, Donna, I want to welcome you to my show. Well,
1: well, thank you. What
0: exactly made you laugh? Oh, we'll get into it. Okay. (laughs) I have two pages of notes. And I, I love to do that because I just sit there and I watch and I listen and I scroll back and forth. You have a lot of videos on YouTube. And uh, they were lots of fun to watch. But we'll get into it in a minute. I want to tell everybody a little bit about who you are. Zig Ziglar said, Donna Blevins is someone we can all look up to, both professionally and physically. At six foot five, Donna is an international professional poker player a motivational speaker and a mind-shift coach who uses her mind-shifting exercises to accelerate her miraculous recovery from a life-threatening stroke. She found the keys to activating her mind-body-spirit connection, geared up, and proved they worked. Her innovative game-based brain retraining techniques, help those suffering from mental stress and self-sabotage by rewiring their neural pathways and experiencing fast relief. In other words, when life deals you crappy cards, move on, (laughs) but in a fun way. So Donna, welcome. We've got some fun things to talk about today, but I'd like you to kind of tell our guests who you are in your own words.
1: I don't think I can top what you've just said, Debbie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you said I'm six feet five inches tall, and probably one of the things that that made you chuckle is that my husband is five foot three, and he is one of the few people I look up to.
0: I loved when you said that. That is so wonderful because I think that brought back a a very interesting feeling for me when I was growing up. I'm five foot eight, which is I thought relatively tall till I stood beside you, but I never <laughs> liked dating guys, my height or, or shorter. It was just kind of a funny thing for me. And the first time I hadn't spent some time around a woman that did that was my first sister-in-law, and she was five foot 10, and her husband was about five, seven, and she wore these like, five-inch high heels all the time. And, I'm, and her brother, who I was married to, was six foot four, so I could wear high heels, but I was always a like, lot, lot shorter than he was but I always wondered how she got the courage to do that and uh, I don't know
1: I think what happens is as we grow up and throughout life people become so attached to their physicality they think it has to be perfect in some way I mean I I I've been through that so many times because at, at 65 inches tall people said oh you should be a model and I would go to talk to a modeling agency and they go, no, you're too fat, because oh, models needed to be really, really skinny. So in the 70s, I thought, well, I'll just become really, really thin. Almost killed myself, not from suicide, but because I went on the first protein sparing fast and lost down to 126 pounds. And pictures of me looked like I was a reject from Dachau. I mean, it was just dreadful. And it took me many, many years before I realized I I love myself, who I am, regardless of how my body looks. I mean, I'm 71 years old. I am aging with grace because I now embrace my beautiful white hair and the, the wrinkles on my face show Many of the things that I've experienced. And, and yes, I have some e- extra insulation around
0: my body, but that keeps me warm. There you go. And I love it. And the reason I was laughing earlier when I was watching one of the shows is because you were talking about when you were a kid and the year that you grew. Mm hmm. And you grew I, nine inches, nine inches in a year. And did that take you to six foot five, or where was that in your growth pattern? No, I was five feet tall going into
1: the fifth grade, and the beginning of the sixth grade, I was five feet nine, and so I was. Um, it was dreadful because dreadful because it hurt. Growing pains are real. The physical aspect of it. When you grow that fast, your bones grow faster than your ligaments and tendons, and they were li- literally pulling away. They were trying to rip away from my uh, from you know the bones and mother took me in to see a doctor and said what can we do and he said well her Achilles tendon the one that goes down the back of your leg and under the the foot he said that's going to rip if we don't take pressure off of it and she said well, how do we do it she said well we'll put her in elevated shoes oh my <laughs> To gosh. take pressure off of it and it was it was an interesting experience because in the fifth grade there was this I was raised in the mountains of Virginia and there was this real pushy bully girl and she was small and during recess and and we had recess uh, a regular recess where you go outside because I was in a two-room schoolhouse in the fifth uh, third fourth fifth grade and I said "This is a really small town coal mining camp and she would push me physically push me and I would like you know start to react and she said if you touch me I will claim you started it because you're so big mm-hmm. and I just kept backing up and backing up and I felt very I felt really the bully feeling you know regardless of your size you can be bullied and one day when she was pushing me I just she started to push and I sidestepped just kind of pivoted sidestepped and she fell down <laughs> and when she did it was like she, it it took her power away and Interesting, I believe that that was the point at which one of my mind shift exercises evolved because I looked at her and I said, hmm, isn't that interesting? Uh And it was just that point of of detachment, of being able to detach and observe rather than being engaged in the bulliness.
0: Well, I understood that growth pattern because same with me. When I was in fifth, between fifth and sixth grade going into seventh grade, I, I grew seven inches over the summer. Mm-hmm. And it does a number on your back, and like you, my mom took me to the doctor, and um, my doctor said, okay, we're going to put you in this brace to keep your lower back straight, and it had these metal stays. It's like a corset, and I don't, I don't remember how many how many months, or how, I don't remember how long I wore it, but I was just like, oh, why am I doing this? You know, but you had to do it to keep your, keep your back straight. And then you said something about how your mom used to tell you to keep your shoulders back, put the girls out, and be proud. <laughs> my, my daughter still says to, that to me. She said, Mom, put those shoulders back. Put the girls up. And, uh, and, you know, be proud of how tall you were. But that's when I noticed that I was taller than the guys. And I started to shrink a little in my mind because I didn't want to be taller than the boys. Of course, they, don't, they didn't grow in seventh grade. They waited until like ninth grade. Um, but I think that was my limiting belief that way back then that I, I really needed somebody taller. And, uh, and it's, it's just one of those things. But I really embrace, you know, that you married a fellow that's younger or younger. I don't know if he's younger, but, but shorter. Um, but that, he, that you really look up to him, and that's wonderful. That's a great relationship. So thank you so much for, for letting us know about that. But the other thing that I laughed at is when you went on, and I think this was in 1987, you went on the Hour Magazine with Gary Collins.
1: Can yes, you tell I us
0: did. about your experience
1: with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Yeah, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he was one of the most, um, he was a famous basketball player. He he ruled the basketball in those years. And, and he's 7'2". And I was asked to come on because Gary Collins is, 6-2 at least they said he is but he's not that <laughs> tall guys <laughs> kinda of stretched that and they wanted somebody in between so they could, I could make them both comfortable and we're in the green room before we go on and you know the question that people ask me that do you play basketball it was the first time anybody asked me that was when Kareem asked me it was the first time I was proud I was asked the question so I told him the story about the fact that when I was in high school and my high school was five grades and believe me I wasn't slow our grade, our high school was five grades. You know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. If I didn't tell you that, people would go, oh, she is slow. <laughs> and so he asked me if I played basketball and I told him when I got to high school, I, I my brother's basketball coach came to me and said, Donna, would you You know, do you know how to play basketball? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, well, would you like to learn? I said, not particularly. (laughs) So he went away and two weeks later he came back and he had my team. He had the team. Well, actually a team for me because they formed a team when I got to high school and I left and they stopped. (laughs) And Kareem asked me what my average was over those five years. And when I told him, he threw back his head and he started laughing. And I I, you know I, it's like I started shrinking I'm going Kareem is laughing at me and he said do you know Magic Johnson and I said sure he, he's a famous player this year And he said yes he has a 23-point average this year and I had one of those mega mind shifts because I said do you mean my 36-point average over five years meant I was a good basketball player he said no Donna he said you weren't good He said you were a star. And in that moment I had that mega mind shift because I realized that I had been focusing on the wrong things. I had been focusing on the number of times I missed because I'd shoot and I'd miss and I'd shoot and I'd miss and I'd shoot and I'd miss and and I just always said, Why am I such a poor basketball player after every single game? So it was that moment when I truly realized that what we focus on matters. We must Focus on the wins, regardless of how small, rather than dramatize the losses.
0: And I heard you talking about, giving that story one time, about um, your position on the team. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was you a spot. Weren't,
0: you weren't running.
1: Oh, that's right. I was a spot shooter. Um, I, I couldn't dribble. There's no way I could control a ball. I mean, it, you know, I had, I had no coordination. I did a double-handed overhead shot. I just waited for the girls to bring the ball to me, and i just hold my hands up and have my three seconds, and I would shoot, and I'd miss, and nobody could take it away from me. So I, I had plenty of opportunities to shoot, and I just missed a lot.
0: But then you would move, though. You'd, you'd change positions. If you missed a couple times, you would move. Did you move closer? Did you move to a position that you felt comfortable in? Or No, nope, there were only two, sh- two, two spots on the two court. Two spots? No, I just stayed there. <laughs> okay
1: well no i i did I did move in for the rebounds i w- I was really good with rebounding, so I did that, and this was so long ago you know th- this was in the sixties and and in our in our school the the girls' basketball was half court rules. it wasn't like they had five players on a team it was six, and you know you the forwards were only you had three forwards and three guards on one side and three forwards and three guards on the other side, so it was half court Rules. So That was a good thing for me because we didn't have to run back and forth. I just kind of <laughs> waited for the ball to come back.
0: But it's an interesting, if you look at basketball or games, you know, get, look at your life in, in that perspective. You know, sometimes you just get stuck and you just shoot from the same place. You, you know, did. and you're missing your hit. and You're missing your hit. Um, so to transition kind of into another game, you mentioned earlier that you were a, an international poker player. How, I have interviewed one other poker player in my in my career here, and it was Christy Arnett. And Christy is about five feet tall. So <laughs> the visual of that is huge for me. But how in the world did you get into international poker?
1: Well, I, uh, my husband and I had a, a real estate company, and, and we were working as the, the management broker for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. And um, I was working... 17 hours a day and it was seven days a week and our responsibilities were tremendous and I was so exhausted when the Seminoles put card tables in their bingo halls in 1996. I said to my husband, do you think you could teach me how to play? I in mean, my late 40s and I never picked up a, a, a card deck. I mean, we had Rook and, and Old May growing up and never, I didn't even know what poker was. I my mean, mother didn't didn't say you can't play poker. That wasn't it. Um, as, as a matter of fact, she—the first time she ever played a hand of poker with my husband, she didn't know anything about the game. But she made him lay down pocket kings because she convinced him she had a winning hand, and she had crap in her hand. <laughs> my mother is so powerful. She's 94. still with us, and I love that. Um, but uh, my husband said, "Sure, you know, i will be happy to, to to teach you how to play." But it was funny because he stopped a minute when I asked that, and I could see these. You know, it's spinning in his head where he's going, oh, it's a
0: guy's game. Yeah. You know, it's
1: just And, uh, well, then it's like I could see the change. I could see him going, well, you know, if I teach her how to play and she likes it, I'll get to play more. Sure, I'll teach her how to play. <laughs> and it was an interesting concept because here I was, a successful entrepreneur with her own company, going into an arena that was predominantly uh, male-based. Uh, it was a man's game and here I'm walking in at a woman six-and-a-half feet tall because uh, well I, I wore heels all the time you know I would wear you are talking about your friend who had uh, worn heels I mean I I, I wore six-inch plaits when they were available <laughs> unfortunately today I don't wear heels because I have a fused ankle but that's okay and um, I walked into that room and I was intimidated it was very odd Uh, But when I sat down at the table, and I can remember the feeling was all of a sudden you sit at the table, and I call it the universal equalizer, because everyone is the same size when you sit down at the table. Uh, You're sitting there, you're not standing up, and when you're in a tournament, you start with the same chips. So everyone starts equal. Uh, granted, it's based on experience, but it, it that was my mentality. I was able to do that, and what happened was it gave me a place where I could have respite. You know, it was my recreation, and then it became my therapy, because there was a moment when I first started out. I'm sitting there worrying about this con contractors I had to deal with it, and I'm worried about. Uh, you know, I've got to do an on-roof inspection tomorrow and I'm petrified, me petrified of heights isn't that silly, but i was petrified of going on top of a roof and doing an inspection. I had, I had to do all these inspections and I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about this contractor I had problems with yesterday and I'm in a hand literally in a hand and it was almost as if the, the universal wisdom smacked me and said wait there is only one thing that ever exists and that's the hand you're in. Pass cards are folded Future cards are never here. The only thing that ever exists is, that, is the hand that you're in. And in that moment, I went to that point of mindfulness. And I believe today that it was poker that saved my life because it took me to that place of calm immediately. And it's, it's, I've even used it with therapy with people, traumatic brain injury at the VA hospital in Tampa. So it's, it's a great arena.
0: Well, it's interesting because you—I heard you say that poker is a people's, what do you say, a people's game that we play with cards. It's not a card game.
1: That's correct. People mostly think say, "Well, you know, it's it's a card game," and and it is a card game played by people, but it is most importantly a people game played with cards, and uh, it is that's where I've discovered that our strengths. Um can really show up at the poker, but I can also realize that our weaknesses do as well, and the people that I was working with in the poker industry, uh, I would find out that I could tell what problems they were having in their life outside the poker because it manifested it really presented itself at the poker table and mm-hmm. I've, today, I use the concepts of poker with my coaching clients who have nothing to do with the poker game. But the concepts of the game is a natural transition to working with people, because there's a lot of of the game theory that is prevalent in business, and it's it's a good way to talk about it while being playful.
0: And it it makes me this part does make me laugh because I can visualize I have a a big round table, uh, my dining room table, and it's round with a with a um a spinner in the middle. I'm having a brain cramp on what it's called, and When my boys were younger, uh, they would have six or seven guys around the table playing poker, and these were teenagers. And then my youngest son was maybe five or six at the time. And so he would come in, and he would be playing poker with the big boys, and the big boys thought he was an easy mark. Oh, we can take him. We can take him. Well, after a while, you can imagine um, who won, and the winner was the youngest, because he he watched, he listened. He observed, he kept his, his cute little smile down to a minimum, but he, he's turned out to be one of the best salesmen I know because he can read people, he can schmooze with the best of them, but he's got a brain that he just watched and he listened and he observed and he, he knew who was bluffing and who wasn't.
1: And, oh, that's uh, such a smart man. That's such a smart man because he walked exact... away with all the cash,
0: but I think he's losing <laughs> to it now because he doesn't have it in his pocket. <laughs> but it was such a fun visual to see these teenage boys who thought they were it at poker and this little six year old beating them. So get yeah. it, it, like it, 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 it's the equalizer. Yeah,
1: it absolutely is. And one of the things that I have learned is that I had Uh, Sales had been one of my strengths throughout my life and I realized the sales skills of being able to read people because that's what happened when you're good at sales is that you don't get up and try to sell somebody something. You keep your mouth shut and you listen and you ask questions and that's actually what the dialogue at the poker table is. When I say dialogue, the dialogue has to do with with betting and, and what you do after that. It's not the words you say, it's the actions that you take. The concepts transition perfectly to sales and management, and because it's all about keeping your mouth shut and listening. You got two ears and one mouth. Take take a lesson from from God who made us two ears, two ears, one mouth. Shut mm-hmm. up and listen.
0: Well, and that's true. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And I I was listening this morning. You said something about um, emotional agility, and that's something that you learned at the table. Can you talk a little bit about what is emotional agility?
1: Well, thank you, and, and I'm, I'm proud to say that I coined a term because I've been using it for many years. And somebody said I've never heard that before, and I said, "Go Google it." And they said, "We don't find it." And I said, "That's a good thing. I have a term that I made. It has to do with being able to be in that mindful place where you have the ability to change your emotions at will, rather than becoming their slave, because when we be when we stay in that place of being reactive, we are always shooting ourselves in the foot. We're sabotaging ourselves, we're hurting ourselves. And that's the biggest challenge I've seen people have all my life is that they are re- reactive because our brain is naturally reactive because our brain protects us. Our brain we are still, you know we're still primal. Uh, our our DNA is still primal. It's there to protect us. It it addresses and reacts to what we might be, what we might have danger from. And to have that emotional agility is to be able to get, to get in, in as short as seven seconds because when a negative thought comes to mind, it only takes seven seconds before it anchors and takes root. But we do have a seven second window of opportunity when we can become aware and we develop the ability to shift our emotions, to be able to detach and observe rather than engage in that emotional strife that's happening. That's where stress comes from and anxiety and grief and remorse. It's all based on emotional inability to shift.
0: Well, we're going we're to do a quick shift here because part of the Stand Up and Speak Up show is that I want people to understand that we all go through things in life That we might not be happy about, proud about, might be ashamed of in some way, but we've gotten over it and we've been able to rise up again and find success. You, when we talked earlier this past week, you told me about something that had happened to you that you, the first time you ever told it, was at Women's Prosperity Network. Can you kind of give us a recap of what happened and what's the story? What's your story of? I don't know, it's not regret, but what happened to you a few years ago, and how did you get through that?
1: Well, let me just get to the bottom line, because I might as well say it out out loud, because the first time I said it at Women's Prosperity Network a couple of years ago, it it just came out of my mouth, and I just stood there in tears, because I'm a convicted felon, and to say that puts this... Shame. The shame is so deep. Until I actually wrote about it in a chapter in a book that's coming out next week, eleven eleven, and and it's like and and you're to have you here to give me the ability to voice it. When I we had the real estate company and I was the management broker for the Department of Veterans Affairs, we took custody of properties that the VA acquired because of the foreclosure process. I took custody. The first custody we took was of two hundred and fifty-seven properties. And 10% of the properties, one in 10, had occupants still in them. Now, by the time we got the custody, all of the paperwork had gone through. All the foreclosure, all the eviction everything. So I was responsible for taking care of the eviction, which is the most devastating thing to do. And I remember this one particular day when it's it's stormy and, and I'm driving to an early eviction. And it's almost like every turn I took, the clouds followed me. It's getting darker and darker. And when I got to this ro- this the road and we got to the block, I noticed the car was pulling out of the driveway. Car looked in good shape. the The, the grass had just been mowed, uh, and and she drove away. And we got to the got there. the The police, the sheriff's. Deputy met me there, and he said, "You know, we really have to get this over with because you know this eviction has been going on for nine months." And I said, "Are you sure? Because look at the place; it, it looks wonderful." And he said, "The papers are on the front door." I said, "Are you sure it's the same place?" We went up there, and there was all the papers were on the door, and 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 I'm trying to get the door open, and I'm I'm just stumbling because I'm I'm so nervous, I'm so upset. And he said, just drill the lock. He said, I've got to get on with it. So I drilled the lock and we went in and I'm mortified. The, the house is in wonderful condition. And I went through the house and it's apparently occupied by a mom and a couple of kids, probably 10 and 12. And my responsibility, he said, can you get on with it? And I had a crew of six. We had to set every single thing that was in that house out to the curb. Mm-hmm. And I sent I sent the crew out. And I said, here, I took money out of my pocket and I sent them to get really good boxes. And I sent them, to, and I said, you know, let's let's box this up. I really just I, I'm I was in this place of of no return. And we got everything on the curb, and it had been stormy looking, and all of a sudden it started pouring rain. And and I pulled more money in my pocket, and I sent the people to get tarps to put over it. And I'm standing there, and I said. I hate this. I have to get out of here. I can't do this anymore. And shortly thereafter, it was almost like I put the order in. The U.S. Marshals showed up at my door at the office and said, Donna Blevins, you've been served. Hmm. And so I was, um, uh, it had to do with a simple error in a contract. And it was, I was used, it was the, the, it came down on me it was this shame and this remorse and I didn't want to put my family through it and I I talked with an attorney and the cost to go to court was just unconscionable and I wrote a check for five thousand dollars and I said here do what you can and he pled to a white-collar felony and I thought okay that's that's it but what happened was that was able to block so many things and now I realize it's important to talk about it and to say look there's one thing I know for sure Yes, it was a trial and a tribulation it was an awful thing to go through but today I want to tell you sitting here I love who I am and the only way I can be me is to have gone through everything that
0: I've experienced
1: and I do love who I am
0: Mm. well I'm, I'm Again, my stupor over that because um, one of my boys has had some problems. um, And to be a parent of a child who has had some run-ins with the law, uh, it's, I'm sure, not being, it's not the same as, you know, you actually being arrested and put up there. But the whole system, there's something wrong with the system and the way it makes people feel, especially family members. Um, I don't... I don't know how your husband felt when this happened, um, but as a mom, watching my son go through the process was just awful. And if I had another lifetime, that would be one of my causes to go change you know, the criminal justice system and how families are treated and how people are treated because the, the uniformed guards um, that kept me from visiting my son uh, just had this attitude about they were better than we are. And I'm thinking, you have no idea who I am. And of course, I had no idea who the other mothers were around me. And I'm thinking, this is not right. You know, we should be treating each other as brothers and sisters and people, and not like I'm the criminal because I didn't do anything. So, just a real brief. How did your husband feel through this? Well, we we both we both were
1: served, and he actually uh, oh, okay. had, has a no. He he he's he served as a misdemeanor. Mm. and so it uh, and what he wanted me to do at the time was he said look you know fight it you know go to court and I'm going sweetheart I don't want to put my mother and my father through that and I was too ashamed to do that Mm. today you know what I learned from poker is this it's important to be willing ready and able to fold early and fold often when something does not serve let it go
0: it's Mm -hmm. okay to fold and fold doesn't mean you're going to give up for life that's right
1: because there's another hand coming Right. and if you can accept that one of the intentions that i set when i started well i've had this intention for many years and my intention is to make correct decisions and to remain unattached to the outcome and that's a big profit in what I do is is that's what I want to do is I want to make correct decisions that is my intention but to be able to remain unattached to the outcome and to be the witness to observe that's the powerful place as a matter of fact that concept was what enabled me when I had my stroke I'm I'm seven I'm seven years old today (laughs) Halloween I was seven years old Mm -hmm. because I had my massive center left brain stroke Halloween of 2013 seven years ago and um, the the entire health care team was saying she will never be able to speak fluidly again, it'll take eight or nine months before she can speak and I chose to detach and observe rather than buying into that. It's like I said, bullshit, I'm not gonna buy into that and I started doing one of the mind shift exercises. Hmm, isn't that interesting? That's why I said it probably started with in the fifth grade. And I was able to observe rather than claim the illness, I was able to catch from it. I was completely muted. Uh, I could say two words. I could say Donna and crap. <laughs> <laughs> two and positive words. <laughs> two positive words. And I was able to go through a process in the time of, of literally, and I didn't know these words. I did not understand that what I was doing was actually rewiring my neural pathways because the brain center, the, the center of the speech pattern is this area in the left side of the brain, center left brain. And and today, if you do an MRI of my brain, and I actually had one done about a year ago I wanted to see a follow up, there is this black hole, this area that's that's dead. And doctors look at that and say, I don't know how in the where you speak because that's where your speak center is. And I said, not mine. I moved it. <laughs> <laughs> I called a moving crew and I moved it. <laughs> mm. And apparently by doing the, the processes, I was literally retraining my, my brain how to speak. But I was using other parts of my brain. And we have the ability to do that. And this is the key. It's based on the words we choose because the words we choose set ourselves up for either success or failure. And it's choose wisely.
0: And I love that. So we're going to move right into that because that's the crux of our discussion today was this mind shift on demand. And you do it so eloquently and I loved watching the YouTube videos of it I, and I, I learned something on each, each, each interview you did. Can you explain to our audience what the mind shift on demand is? And, and I think you were going to actually walk us through one of your exercises. I'd be happy to. And if you would like to
1: be now, I want to I don't use the guinea pig, but if you'd like to be the subject, because if, because in order to know and have verification that something is working, it's a case of, of having to have before and after numbers. It's kind of like the pain scale. If people, doctors will say, well, what do you, how do you feel now? And after this happens, you know, how do you feel now? What is the number scale? And that's what makes this technology evidence based. So is it okay if, And it's unimportant for me to know what you're thinking about. But is it okay if we interact in relationship to you being the one who's actually doing the process?
0: Absolutely. And if people wanted to follow on, this is available um, as a download, right, on your website, MindShiftOnDemand.com.
1: Yes, it is. And, and I have it in a four-minute audio because I wanted it to be really, really fast.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And um, I'm actually putting some more together so it's a little more detailed. But let me explain to you the process really quickly and then we'll walk through it. Sure. The, proce- the process is I'm going to ask you to bring, to bring a dark negative situation to mind. It's kind of like if you don't have something that's ugly, how do you know when something's light? Because without darkness, without dark, there is no light. Mm-hmm. It's the contrast in our life. So I'm going to ask you to bring that situation up to mind and I'm going to ask you to rate where you are in relationship to it. And I ask people to bring up the ugliest thing they can think of, the things that really makes them upset because we have some something to quantify. And then on the pain scale, on, on, I call it the discomfort scale, rate where you are. As a matter of fact, Shall we go, because we're audio, shall we just go ahead and, and walk through it straight on without t- saying what it is and then going through it? I think we can t- go right straight into it. You want to do that?
0: Certainly, certainly.
1: Okay. So I'd like for you to bring a situation to mind that is uncomfortable, that discomfort, and just let me know, just just give me a yes when you have something to mind that is, is really high on the discomfort scale. Uh, yes. <laughs> Okay, and it's, unpo- it's unimportant to tell me the number but I want you to rate you can tell me later just rate where you are and at this moment the first step is I want you to forgive yourself and self-forgiveness is one of the challenging parts in our life because we rarely give ourselves slack and right in this moment just to yourself say I forgive you and anyone who is listening and hearing my voice right now live or on the recording I want you to know that I am speaking directly with you and hear me and just in this moment be in that place of self-forgiveness and there's a part of us that go I can't forgive myself just say I forgive you and say your name to yourself say I do I really do and I love you and say your name say I understand and say your name and just be there in the moment of that forgiveness and sometimes tears come to me when I'm even talking about it when I'm with someone else or even in a a virtual arena as we are here just be there in that point of self-forgiveness and say I love you and your name Take a deep breath and say you are forgiven. Next, please ask this thing to show itself in your mind's eye to take a three-dimensional form. If it has, if you have any difficulty with it taking a form, whether it be a graphic, a A situation where you can see people, whether it be a person, a vehicle, a building. If it's difficult for it to vision it in your head, simply give it a name. Give it a name and then look at that word, that name in your mind's eye. And when you do, it has now taken a form in your mind's eye. And the moment that you do that, I want you to understand that it is no longer out there and all around you. It has boundaries. It is now finite. Just think about the beauty in that. It is finite. and Just to be there and it's kind of like you're taking, you're reacquainting because you're just noticing it. It's like you're bringing it back up to not bond, but to send it on its way. And as you're looking at it, go ahead and step back one step and as you do say, hmm, isn't that interesting? And it begins to move away from you. Step back one more step and say, hmm, isn't that interesting? And it's going further and further away from you. And it is as if, if it's floating down a river, if it's on wheels, if it's walking away, it's just moving away. It's getting smaller and smaller. Step back one more step. And almost with glee, almost with laughter, say, isn't that interesting? Because it's almost over the horizon, far, far away. And just be in that place of complete, detached, observant place. You are now completely detached, no longer feeling it and feeding it. You are only the witness. Open your eyes, look up and to your right, pivot your body 45 degrees to the right and continue looking up. You're accessing your right hemisphere of your brain and ask, where would I rather be? No need to answer because your subconscious will go about doing that. Go ahead and come back to me. Debbie, rate right now where you are in relationship to this feeling of this situation and if you will share with us your before and after numbers.
0: Well, I got this this what I call the cold shiver um, as we did this because I probably was at a six um, with this particular item and maybe now down to a one or two. Um, because I, I like the part about giving it a picture. I know exactly where this took place and the people that were there. And when you say Give it boundaries. Put put some, you know, a finite boundary around it, and then walk walk back from it, pull back from it. I could do that, and uh, and that that was just one of these little things that had just been crawling at me, and uh, and that's I'm glad I did that because I, I actually have heard you do this before, and I was because of the scam that I uh, was involved in years ago. I've gotten over that. Pretty well in the last six or eight years. I was using that initially as because I, I work with a lot of women that that um, are right in the middle of a scam or, or recently found out about a scam, and it, it is all consuming. And I like being able to put boundary around it, put a frame around it, you know, have it so that you can walk away from it and not let it encapsulate you and uh, and take over your life. So. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) I really like that, and I hope that people that that are listening to this can do that. Because, like you said, Donna, we only want to be a witness to this. We don't want to be a part of it anymore. Yeah, and and you can
1: getting the lessons from it. Even in the darkest times, there are lessons. We, I believe that we, if if there's if there's a big universal wisdom of why we are here. I believe that we are here to grow and evolve and to experience. I believe that is what we're here for, It's to learn. And as we as we change, if, rather than be angry about something having happened and and even though the fact that as a mind shift coach I've been working with the, the, the felony issue or being able to even that come out of my mouth without without crying, I had not addressed it. I had literally put it I had had suppressed it. What had happened with me in that is I was treating it as one would treat it. It was PTSD for me. Because Mm -hmm. with post-traumatic stress disorder, you you take whatever that is and you suppress it. And that's exactly what I had done with that. And and through this encounter and through being able to, to come out and come out of the closet and say, I am a convicted felon and that's okay because I've learned a lot because of that. And it's it's okay. I, I when, like who I am.
0: When you asked us to, to look up to the right and say where would I rather be? Yes. Um, I've had that feeling that you know if I could change what happened in the past, I still wouldn't do it. Was it painful? Absolutely. Did I lose a lot of money? Absolutely. Can I take that money with me when I die? No. But can I take that experience and make it and turn it around for good? Yes. And that's, I think, where we need, where I made the the pivotal change was going from the tremendous grief and then all the stages of grief to now what can I do with what happened? And I see the same for you. You know, when you said that you're a convicted felon, it happened. It happened to us, but it happened for us. So how, how can we make that for us important in our life's purpose? And... I bet you there were women that heard that were like, well, dang, if that happened to Donna, it happened to me, now I have a friend, and I don't feel alone. And that's important. Not to dwell on what happened, but to say, I've been there, done that, let's move on together. (laughs) I'm glad you said that, because
1: basically... All the mistakes I've made in my life, and let me tell you, I have played crappy cards really well in the relationship to making crappy mistakes. And what I do know is that when coaching clients come to me and say, "Oh, Donna, this is so bad," because usually I go, "Hey, it's unnecessary for you to tell me the details. Please don't dramatize it." But when they say it, I say, "Look, been there, done that. Yeah, (laughs) You you can't convince me about it now. What do you want to do about it? What?" Where would you rather be? What do you want? That's the question. What do you want? That's it. That's the key. That's my four word question that I ask. What do you want? <laughs>
0: what there you do go. you
1: want? And the other the other thing I say most of the time is, stop it <laughs> <laughs> When somebody goes into this drama I go, tag because that's one of my mind shift exercises, tag. Do I have permission to tag you? <laughs> Which means when words come out of your mouth that are counterproductive to you, I can say tag. Uh, please consider revising that. How might you? How else might you say that? <laughs> so there with you pe- go. People that are really close to me, I'll go stop it. <laughs> but I, don't, I very rarely do that. They have to be really close to me to do that. I usually say tag.
0: <laughs> okay, well that's fun, and, that, and and so I want everybody to be able to go to mindshiftondemand.com. And be able to download that uh, that mind shift exercise. But I'm going to bring in Dr. Tim McGinnis. Tim is the founder of SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams. And Tim has been listening to this. and I'm sure had to chuckle at some of our um, poker conversations. But Tim, were you there? I am here. So Tim, you know, in our in our uh, realm of SCARS, how do you see Donna's mind shift on demand? experience, you know, work for good for our girls? Well, do they need it?
2: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So being sensitive on the topic, the reality is that scam victims, depending upon the depth of the manipulation, all have some degree of trauma. If nothing else, just the experience that, They bought into the stories being told. The realization of that is profoundly disturbing to someone's sense of identity and their ability to uh, be able to detect these kinds of things in the future. It creates a lasting doubt that can take considerable time to overcome. But part of it is also the fact that so many are in varying stages of denial, or they've gone off the the deep end of anger and hate, etc. And self-awareness and mindfulness is essential in that process of coming back to the center and being able to transcend the experience. So I think that any methodology that will allow people to explore their own perceptions and their own status and where they want to be so to speak is profoundly beneficial and and I wish there were ways of better encapsulating and customizing it for the kind of audiences that we deal with unfortunately um The the generalized approach sometimes doesn't allow handholds for scam victims to be able to grab onto. Uh, You yourself, Debbie, went through that immediately following your own. You were grasping out and looking for ways to sort of grab a hold of the universe again and figure out what reality was after what you'd experienced. Uh, Fortunately, you found it. So. Uh, having another resource that we can refer victims to, I think, will be profoundly beneficial and helpful.
0: Absolutely. And um, so, Donna, we'd like you know to be able to work with you too, with with the women in, in scars, men and the men and women, but mostly women in scars, uh, because they would really benefit from a mind shift exercise, a mind shift on demand, because uh, so many times, you know, we have to move from being the victim to what I call the survivor and go from a survivor to a thriver and it takes some yeah. time and everybody does it at different at different levels and at different timing so it,
2: it, exactly and this is not an overnight process by any manner of means our what we have observed over well in my case nearly 30 years of 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 observing uh, online scams in various forms is this is a process that can take victims anywhere from a year to multiple years to fully come to grips with with their reality and acceptance is probably the single most important element just being able to accept what happened and then being able to look away from the past and look towards their their present and their near future. Uh, very, very challenging. And any tool set that can help them do that will be highly prized.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Tim. And Donna, I was listening to something you, this morning, and, and you had talked about um, you have a statement, an intention statement. Can you give that? Am I taking you off yes, by surprise on this one?
1: No. I, I intend to make correct decisions, remain unattached to the outcome, and that that remaining unattached to the outcome is the key. And um, when I had uh, when when I was doing became in the poker industry, I would add to that uh, with the intention. I would then say, and and may may the cards break in my direction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ask for some better odds. <laughs> and that's your uh, your goal in life is to be the top of the world poker.
1: Hey, I I will say, now, if poker players listen to this, they're going to go, what? Absolutely. My objective is to be the first woman to win the World Series of Poker Main Event Championship. And I have to tell you that I have been off the felt, that means off, away from the table for quite a few years, taking care of my mother, who is now 94, kicking and, I mean, she puts any fifty-year-old man to shame. I'll hire fifty-year-olds to come and help mother in the garden. They, they won't come back after two years, two days, because they say, we can't keep up with her. And that's a good thing. Um, but I know for sure that it's important for us to be in that place of mindfulness. And I just was saying something and I lost my... Friend. Where where was where I going with that? we
0: were talking about
1: being the champion. Yeah, I mean, poker players are going going to go, what? She can never do that because because she just hasn't been playing poker much. And I want everyone to know, if you're going to set your goals and set your intention, you've got to dream big, and that's really important. And I know I could do it. I can do it. It's a case of getting there. It's a case of doing those little points, and I will be back to poker when the, the COVID is, uh, has a vaccination because I'll not be at the table until then. But uh, I my intention is... My dream is to be the first woman, and by the way, I would be the oldest by now.
0: <laughs> so I might as well break two records. Age will have nothing to do with it, right? It's all mindset. And I can see you sitting at that table, and you're going to be across the table from my friend Christy Arnett, or uh, uh, somebody told you her name was Christy, um, because she's she's the hoot too, and I, she, I, she's going to be there challenging you, and it'll be the Mutton Jeff of women's poker. <laughs> uh, let me you tell you. Are,
1: There's some that uh, 2011 uh, uh, ladies champion um, is is a wonderful woman, and and I can see her at the final table. I mean, I I would love to see the final table. Women poker players, hear me! I would love to see the final table of the World Series of Poker full of women, and the men are like (laughs) going. Not that, but that's okay. Uh, men oftentimes are unaware how to play with women. Women have—it's interesting because sometimes what happens is, is, like I said, some of their insecurities will come out. It's a great, great place to work through that. I'm not proposing that you go learn to play the game, but uh, the concept of game theory has been a big part in my mind shifting exercises.
0: Absolutely. So, Donna, thank you so much for this wonderful discussion. It's, it was fun. You took me some, to some different places. Um, could you just tell again everybody how to find you, if they'd like to work with you, how to do um, get your mindset experience and talk about the book? The book's coming out. Oh, thank you. Uh, Mind Shift on Demand is my
1: current book, and the the, the Mind Shift exercise, you can find it at MindShiftOnDemand.com. The book where I have a chapter... Um, is coming out on 1111 in uh, 6 days and it's wellness universe complete guide to self care and i'm one of the chapters in there and and i have always shied away from being involved with collaborative books but i'm telling you what this is one of the best collaborative books i have ever seen in my life it is just they, they want a story and then they wanted a tool and I had the first time I've ever put it in print that I'm a convicted felon. And uh, I, I feel really good about that. It's like I work through the process in print. And you uh, find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash biggirlpoker. Uh, I am the big girl of poker at 6'5, so I just picked up that moniker about 20 years ago, so I've kept it. So, facebook.com biggirlpoker. It's a good way to connect with me, and I'll have on my page. my my personal page, I'll have the link to a special. On the 11th, there's going to be a launch party, and you're going to be able to hear, uh, see, it'll be a big Zoom call with uh, uh, 20 or 25 of the, uh, there's 25 authors, and I think there'll be about 20 of us there. So it'll be a wonderful get together. So I'll put the link on my page.
0: Well, that's terrific, and uh, Scars now has its own store, um, and we'd like to be able to put your book on our store so that we can get you out to a bigger audience, too. So thank you so much for that. And the other thing that people might want to do is take a look at uh, biggirlpoker.com. Donna had a, uh, some podcasts and some things that she's done as a, as a coach and a mentor, and um, just see, see you can see a different side of her, and uh, it's just fun. So Donna, thank you so much. Dr. Tim, thanks for joining us. This has been another episode of Stand Up and Speak Up. We're dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you or any of you know someone that has been a victim or been a victim to fraud and scam, report it to anyscams.com and ic3.gov. And I want you to remember to visit my website, thewomanbehindthesmile.com, for replays of of our shows. We've had some extraordinary guests. And visit my Facebook group, Stand Up and Speak Up, for special information and replays. This episode has been sponsored by Benfocomplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles and numbness in their hands and feet, check out Benfotaming products at Benfocomplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, Donna, thank you so much for being my special, special guest. I look forward to seeing you in person again one day soon. And uh, we thank Women's Prosperity Network for being the glue that brought us all together. So have a great day, Ms. Donna, and uh, thank you so so much for being my guest. It has
1: been my pleasure, Debbie. Thank you. All righty.